Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere, and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. Hello and welcome to the bi-week episode of the Jaguar Report podcast. Uh, I'm your host, John Chipley, joined by my co-host, Gus Lowe. Gus, how you doing today, man? I'm good, John. Enjoying the bi-week. How are you doing? I'm really enjoying the bi-week. You know, it's that the bi-week's always weird to cover because in, on one hand, I have almost nothing to write about for a week. I'd imagine it'd probably be different if they were a playoff contending type team, but at one and six, it's not a ton to write about. So. On that hand, the bye weeks always kind of stinks. But on the other hand, a week to just kind of kick back and then to enjoy my Sunday without having to work, that's, that's going to be nice. That's that's one of the NFL Sundays I look forward to every year. Absolutely. You'll be yeah. able to write about mock drafts, though, for a 1-6 team. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you guys missed it. Did a three-round mock draft on Jaguar Report yesterday. I, I Honestly, I had started with a seven-round. Um, I even had all the picks for seven rounds, not all the writing done, but all the picks. And then after I'm like, it is October, whatever the date is, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put that on my resume, a seven round mock draft before October is over. So I went ahead and narrowed it down to three rounds. Uh, you can read it, uh, on, uh, Jaguar report. Um, obviously gave them Justin Fields at number three overall pending. If he's obviously even there, uh, Personally, if I'm the Giants, I'd sprint to the podium and take him, but I've never been a Daniel Jones fan. But gave them Justin Fields and then gave them defenders with their next four picks and went defensive backs in uh, pick 23 and first pick of the second round. Gus, I, I had a lot of people on Twitter tell me, like, dang, why'd you go all defense? My two things are, one, obviously any mock draft right now is to a point somewhat meaningless because we still have to watch free agency play out and the Jaguars are likely going to be one of the biggest spenders in for agency. I mean, they're, they're going to have a ton of cap space, especially considering how the cap's going down. They're going to be way less affected by, you know, restricted cap than other teams. And then secondly, if everybody asks me why, you know, four picks on defense, one on offense, the Jaguars have by far the worst defense in the NFL. I had some people tell me the Giants have – I mean, the Cowboys have a worse defense. No, I, I think if you look at every available metric aside, maybe points per game, the Jaguars' defense is a good bit worse than Dallas's, which is saying a lot. So that's just really uh, – that, that was really my spiel there. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think, like, it's not really that surprising how bad our defense has been this year just because they were one of the worst defenses in the league last year. And then with the loss of – most of Calais Campbell was a massive hit, but also Ngagwe and Bouye and all the other veterans that we don't have around anymore. It's not really that much of a surprise. But I definitely liked your strategy in the mock going fields at three and then lots of defense, especially against – or especially in the secondary. I think getting Farley at 23 overall would be a steal, the uh, corner out Virginia Tech. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I think so too. And I'm, I'm a big Javon Holland fan from Oregon. I think he's a really talented safety. He has nine interceptions uh, in the last two seasons. Oregon obviously hasn't played yet this season, but uh, we'll, we'll obviously continue draft talk as the season marches on and as we have more clarity on who will be making the decisions for Jacksonville, et cetera, et cetera. But next we're going to go ahead and start uh, talking about the Jaguars' latest game. Uh, obviously, Jags aren't a bye this week, but this past Sunday they traveled to Los Angeles for their the franchise's first ever game played in Los Angeles. They lost 39-29 to to the previously 1-4 Los Angeles Chargers. Gus, what was your take on the game? I honestly, I thought it was a lot closer. <laughs> it was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. I thought the Chargers were going to blow the Jaguars out. Yeah, 100%. I, I thought the same thing, but at the same time, I'm not completely – thrown off by the fact that we made it a little bit of a close game just because the Chargers aren't that talented or well-coached of a team, really. Their only wins this season had been against the Jaguars last week and then against the Bengals in week one, and that was Joe Burrow's first NFL start, and the Chargers only won by three points. So, like, in hindsight, I'm not super surprised that it was a close game, but I think it was a pretty interesting game just because the first six games that the Jaguars played, I think like the third down success and red zone success were kind of a big part of both our offense and our defense and how we were able to score or not score. But uh, for this game, I think like big plays and explosive plays were kind of like the biggest part of the game because on Jacksonville had three touchdown drives. We had four touchdowns, but one of them was the blocked punt. And so on the three touchdown drives, we had nine plays of uh, 10 plus yards or just plays gaining 10 yards or more. And then on the non-touchdown drives, we only had two such plays. And so there was just like no no explosive plays at all with the exception of our three touchdown drives. And then Herbert had three 20 plus yard touchdowns and one of which was a 70 yarder. And so I think think the explosive plays on both sides of the ball were kind of big for this game. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think you probably make the argument that if Jacksonville is able to stop at maybe one to two of those explosive plays the Chargers made, they probably – they either win the game or they're in it uh, at the end a lot more so than they were. Uh, I thought his 70-yard touchdown, I thought that was one of the better throws uh, from a quarterback this season, let alone a rookie quarterback. I mean, that, that was just literally right into the bucket. And then I thought his other throws, I thought his throw to Virgil Green over Joe Schobert and the throw to Parham also <laughs> for Joe Schobert. I, I thought Herbert was really impressive. Uh, he kind of did exactly what I thought he would do to the Jaguar scheme. I mean, he, here's my thing. On the on the first Joe Schobert uh, touchdown he allowed, it's hard for me to fault him that much because that is the hole in the cover three scheme that quarterbacks try to attack. You know, if there's a part in the scheme that's vulnerable, it's that one. So it's hard for any player to really make a play there as long as there's a good throw from the quarterback. And that's what we saw from Herbert. So I, I thought the Jaguars were just overmatched uh, defensively. I thought they did a few things well on defense. Um, obviously, Devon Hamilton uh, had his best game of his rookie season. Uh, it came one week after he uh, he, he didn't look like a, a – starting caliber NFL nose tackle in week six against the Lions. But against the Chargers, you know, against Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney, he he had their way with them. So he obviously took a big step. I thought Quincy Williams, he had one of his better games, I thought, as a Jaguar. He still missed. I think Pro Football Reference had him with three missed tackles, which I didn't feel like he had that many live. But when I went back and watched, I was like, I can see it. But 
it just felt like he was making more plays closer to the line of scrimmage. But other than that, I just – I don't think the Jaguars have that much to be optimistic about defensively. And then offensively, you mentioned the explosive plays, but they didn't get a first down until it was, I believe, their fifth drive, right? It was that – it was that big play to chart. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was dying by Minshew. Putting yeah, it no, it, it was. But – yeah, before that, it was pretty rough. I started, like, during the game, I was starting to look up stats, trying to figure out, like, when the last time was that a team, like, didn't have a first down in an entire game. But fortunately, that ended up happening. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was. It the, Those first four drives were rough to watch because it, it was a lot of different things going wrong. Uh, protection was obviously bad. Ben Barch and Tyler Shatley could not block Melvin Ingram on third down at all. I, I thought uh, props to Gus Bradley for – how he's using his defensive line because he has three really talented edge rushers, but he just puts Melvin Ingram over the guards and lets, uh, you know, Bosa and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the other name because I'm terrible at names and I'll butcher it, but they put them at the ends and Ingram inside and Ingram had his way with Barch and Chatley. So I think that was a big reason the Jaguars struggled, but Minshew also missed a couple of times. Uh, Chark dropped one third down pass. It was to, to call it a wounded duck would be an insult to wounded ducks everywhere, but <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, the ball hits your hands. You got to catch it no matter, you know, what kind of Blake Bortles-esque spiral it is. Um, well, I mean, uh, other than that, though, I didn't think there was anything too notable to take away from the game. Uh, I thought, hey, the Jaguars have some exciting young players, but overall still not really close to a good team. Uh, you know, we named some of those exciting young players, obviously. James Robinson had a big day, Devon Hamilton. Uh, I, Daniel Thomas's block punt was a, a biggest special teams play the Jaguars have made this season. I think uh, for for what you know the pick they used invested in him, it was the Calais Campbell trade pick, I believe. Um, for what he's been on special teams so far, I think that's about as much as you could want from a fifth round safety. So there were some encouraging signs, but overall, guess I thought they just showed again that they're just it's going to be hard for them to find a win the rest of the season. Yeah, it's just like I said something similar last week. It's hard to win games when you have a deficit in talent and in coaching. But honestly, I do want to give a little bit of a shout out to Wash just because um, it felt like every single game, so up to this game, he was running cover three like 75% of the time. And so this game, he ran probably the most man, at least from what I saw all, all season. And it didn't necessarily work because they still scored 39 points. But I did appreciate the fact that he at least tried to change it up and he had a lot more two high safety looks than he usually does as opposed to one high. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes kind of moving forward, just what the defensive looks and schemes are going to be like. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something um, Anthony Lynn actually talked about uh, the day after the game. I watched Anthony Lynn's uh, Monday press conference to get what he said on James Robinson when he said uh, they made him look like Earl Campbell. Uh, but he said also, uh, somebody asked him about Justin Herbert not really being so sharp in the first half, which, you know, uh, other than the touchdown passes, uh, I didn't think he had a good first half. The second half when he took over. And, and Lynn said, yeah, the Jaguars, they change their coverages and disguise coverages a lot more than they usually do. Uh, he didn't say if they did that for the second half, but it probably wouldn't matter because <laughs> Herbert went crazy anyways. But uh, that that's 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 really all that we have uh, on the Chargers game. You know, it's it's the bye week, Gus. Is that game the next time the Jaguars play? That game will be two weeks old. So there's not really a ton to I, I think uh, worth the time to put into it. So I'm going to go ahead and move on. 
we're at the bye week now. Gus, what do you think are the most interesting storylines for this team heading into the bye week? Because at one and six, uh, their playoff chances are, you know, I'm sure there's a team before that's gone to the playoffs after uh, starting one and six. Um, I should research that being an NFL reporter. I didn't. Welcome to the Jaguar Report podcast. <laughs> the, the, the chances are slim considering this specific team. So, really, I, I have – what is there that's worth monitoring with this team at 1-6 in the bye week? I think there's a couple things, but what about you? I was going to say playing time would probably be the biggest storyline, I would say, heading into the bye, just because there's so much – like, the Jaguars are one of, if not the youngest team in the NFL. And we have plenty of young players, especially since we have 12 rookies drafted from, like, the current draft class. And so I'll just be interested to see, like, if players like Colin Johnson and Ben Barch kind of overtake veterans at their respective positions and uh, Chris Conley and A.Q. Shatley. And then, like, on the defense, like, Devon Hamilton kind of showed that he deserves more playing time in the second half of the season. But also, like, seeing if, like, maybe – Quincy Williams, who I know is like the backup will and won't play as many snaps with Miles Jack back, but maybe like if they'll try to get him on the field more often and players like Josiah Scott and just so many like young players that you don't really know what you have so far. And so sitting at one and six with a pretty slim chance to make the playoffs, I'll be interested to see kind of how much playing time all the young guys get. Yeah, no, that, that, it, I do weekly, I look at a, uh, how each one of their rookies, uh, that all 12 of the draft picks as well as the most notable um, undrafted free agents did each game. And for the Jaguars, when you look, when you look at the list, a good, probably about 50% of the rookies don't do much on game day, whether it's because they're inactive or because, you know, they're just playing special teams. Obviously you can still make an impact on special teams like Daniel Thomas did on Sunday. But I think the biggest thing for the Jaguars heading into the bye is I think looking at whether they're going to make a change at quarterback. And then I think, like you had said, playing time. I think there's several players that, like you had mentioned, deserve more playing time. I think one move specifically I would make is I'd put Daniel Thomas at starting a strong safety over Josh Jones. I thought Jones was really impressive, uh, you know. in But the thing, I mean, Jones during the season, he just hasn't – done anything positive in terms of pass coverage you know I mean he has allowed a quarterback rating that's almost the highest uh, in the league among safeties and then Ronnie Harrison who the Jaguars traded he has the highest uh the second highest PFF grade of all safeties in the league so that move just completely blew up in the Jags faces and as of right now I think it'd just be way better off for them to see what Daniel Thomas has at strong safety and then, uh, obviously, the quarterback, uh, Adam Schefter, right before we started report, reporting this podcast, uh, reported that Minshew had an injury to his hand. So, uh, if they roll with Minshew after the bye, I think that's another big thing. And that will obviously, I think, be the first question that Doug is asked uh, when he talks again after the bye. Yeah, I agree with the Thomas take. Tom, uh, Josh Jones is almost playing like a fourth linebacker on the team just because he's been solid against the run. But as you said, he's been – pretty porous against the pass and so it would be nice to kind of see what Daniel Thomas has done just because he had a nice game against Houston after Jones was ejected and he's obviously been making plays on special teams as you said and then for the quarterback situation I don't really understand what the point of pulling Gardner is just because obviously he's not playing very well 
but at the same time, like, unless Lufton has been, like, doing really well in practice or something, I don't really know what the benefit of putting another guy in. Like, yeah. at this point, it, it's pretty clear that Minshew's not the guy, but at least give him more of a chance to, like, earn a backup role or kind of – He's the best quarterback on the roster still. You know, he, right. even if he's not a franchise quarterback, he's still by far the best quarterback on the roster. Yeah, so I don't think it makes sense benching him, but at the same time, I would be interested to see how another quarterback plays in the current system just because, like, the current environment obviously is far from ideal. But with that being said, I think Minshew also kind of holds the team back just because of his conservativeness and, like, his unwillingness to throw downfield. So it would be kind of interesting just as an experiment sort of to see how Glennon or Lufton do, like, in the same situation and kind of the similarities and differences. Yeah, for sure. Uh, obviously, you know, Ian Rappaport came out with a report Sunday morning that if Minshew struggled against the Chargers, that he was in uh, danger of being pulled. Um, for as much as I've criticized, and I think they've been fair criticisms of Gardner's play during this losing streak, and as much as I think the Jaguars need to find a long-term quarterback outside of him, I think it's ludicrous for them to even consider binging him because, I mean – you gain nothing from putting Mike Glennon on the field other than, like you had said, seeing if Gardner is the problem on, on offense. I think, uh, Luden, you actually – you gain a little bit more just because he's a, he's a rookie. You want to see what he can do. He didn't get a preseason. But what are you going to do exactly? Say he comes in from Minshew and he plays well and you're in the same exact situation you're in with Minshew. What, what are you going to do with that? Like, what, <laughs> what does that do for you exactly? So – I, I would just write it out uh, with Minshew. Yes, I do have one question, though, and I was thinking this over the last couple games, and I'm finally ready to get this take off my chest. Why did John DeFilippo mesh better with Gardner Minshew than Jay Gruden has? That's a good question, and I think it's partly a good question because John DeFilippo, like, was clearly an advocate for signing Nick Foles and Nick yeah. Foles was kind of his guy. And that's also apparent because Nick Foles was then traded to Chicago where DeFilippo is the current Bears quarterback coach. Yeah. Um, and then after Foles broke his clavicle and was kind of in and out of games throughout the season, DeFilippo almost seemed just like uninterested in changing his scheme and like kind of meshing it towards Gardner's strengths versus just kind of keeping it towards Foles' strengths in my opinion. And so – that's part of the reason I was so excited for Gruden is because I thought that Gruden could just do a good job of playing to Gardner's strengths. And I think that's kind of the answer is that, like, neither neither coordinator has done a great job of, like, trying to do exactly what Minshew does great. But DeFilippo just did a little bit better of a job just through, like, short timing routes and use of play action and even just, like, different downfield designs. Like, Minshew has been unwilling to throw downfield this year, like, unless it's been play action, basically. Yeah. And so, I think it's well, just been more disappointment from Gruden, honestly, than greatness from DeFilippo. Do you think there's any credence to the point that, obviously, DeFilippo did more timing-based routes while Gruden, uh, you know, he, he's asking his quarterback to make, you know, progressions, read the field more than DeFilippo did? I mean, do you think maybe that could be a big part of it? Because, I mean, just those quick timing routes, that's all, you know, Minshew did at Washington State and – you know, even though he's similar in terms of skill set to other quarterbacks Gruden has had, like Kirk Cousins and Andy Dalton, he hasn't played in that specific type of offense like those guys have had. So I, I, I think there's a couple of different – like now that we're seeing it unfold, I'm like, in hindsight, I shouldn't have been as positive on that pairing maybe because now 
there's a couple notable uh, issues, at least with how the two mess with each other. But I'd agree with you that if they're if they're not on the same page, that's more so on Gruden. Uh, Minshew obviously isn't playing all that well, but I think Gruden himself said it when he got hired that it's his job to mesh with the quarterback. So at the end of the day, that's on the offensive coordinator. And I'm a big Jay Gruden fan. I think he, I think he's a good football coach, but he just it just has not worked in Jacksonville so far this year. All right, Gus, uh, you know, moving on from that, uh, you know, we mentioned that we're going to go over some uh, other player props and stuff we have for the rest of the season. I real quick want to present to you one prop. It is from Bet Online, and they have the props for the next coach to be fired. Adam Gase, obviously, <laughs> at one-to-one leads it. And then after that, though, they have Doug Marone at seven-to-four. And behind him, you know, they have Mike Zimmer, Matt Patricia, Mike McCarthy, Anthony Lynn, Vic Fangio, and then I think they did this one just for fun, uh, 500 to 1 Bill Belichick. <laughs> um, uh, do you think Marone will be the second coach fired? Because I think we can all safely assume Adam Gase will be the next coach fired one way or another. Right, yeah, Gase is kind of the obvious pick. But honestly, if I had to bet on it, I will probably bet on Anthony Lynn just because – as we've gone over, their only two wins are against the Jaguars and then Burrow's first start as a Cincinnati Bengal in week one. And then the next two games that they have are against the Broncos and then the Raiders. And so I think if they drop both of those division matchups and they're sitting at two and eight or whatever it'll be, then I could see him kind of being on his way out and then, then promoting whoever their offensive coordinator is. And so Marone is also – seems kind of obvious, almost as obvious as Gase, but at the same time, he's had so much job security in the last several years. And as you said last week, like, it's kind of like, what's the point of firing Marone? Because it's not like we really have anyone in-house that would be, we're anxious to promote to head coach. Ben McAdoo, baby. (laughs) True. I forgot about him. (laughs) Yeah, no, quarterback coach. Um, I I actually did a column on this yesterday on the site, but Basically, uh, Shad Khan, whether it's come to firing a head coach like he did with Gus Bradley or firing an executive like he did with Tom Coughlin, uh, his strategy basically is just to not, you know, pull the rug out from under uh, seasons quickly. Um, the earliest uh, Khan has fired somebody in season has been when he fired Gus Bradley after uh, week 15. And he fired Tom Coughlin just a few days after week 15 as well. So he normally waits until around the last couple weeks of the season. So while I don't think Maroon will return next season, I don't think you're going to see him fired anytime within the next month or so. So, uh, Gus, do you have uh, any other, uh, you know, player type scenarios that you want to throw out? Yeah, I've got a couple of interesting ones for you. So I, I wasn't able to find any online through like Bet Online or Bovada or FanDuel or anything like that. So I made a couple up for you. Um, so there's we played seven games. There's nine games left. So for Gardner Minshew, would you say starts are over or under eight point zero? Uh, now that the uh, before the Schefter tweet, I would have said over. He's going to start all the games. Now this feels a lot like a. Blake's uh, shoulder is hurt. We're going to go to Chad Henney type thing. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with under. I still think Gardner starts most of the games, but uh, maybe he doesn't start a game or two. That's a good point. All right, here's another one. So, so far, LaVisca Chenault has 11 rush attempts through seven games, and he's on pace to have 14 through the next nine. 
So do you think he'll have over or under 15 rush attempts? I think he'll have under. I think they're going to feed James Robinson, and I think they're going to try to get LaVisca going through the air because uh, I'll, I'll have an article on Jaguar Report by the time you guys listen to this podcast, but his second-half splits in terms of catching the ball are – um, he's got a few more passes in the second half than Gus has this year. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So I'll, I'm going to go with uh, under. I think they try to get LaVisca going through the air. Right. I hope you're right. I'm, I'm interested to see just because Marone said he, quote, unquote, is going to look at some things. Maybe they'll change up the offense. Maybe they'll try to get him the ball a little bit more in Wildcat, kind of like he was at Colorado. But we'll see. All right. Um Here's another one. Josh Allen currently has two sacks, so he would be on pace for four for the rest of the season. So do you think he'll have over or under 3.5 for the remainder of the season? I think a lot of over. Um, I know Jags fans, uh, they dislike every time I say this. I still do not think Josh Allen is playing poorly. He was really disruptive against the Chargers uh, just because he's not getting sacks. He's the sole reason they got a couple quarterback hits and then the one sack they got, just the pressure he was creating. And I believe he is pro football focuses like 11th highest rated uh, graded uh, edge defender right now. Uh, his pass rush grade is one of their highest right now. I you know obviously not near TJ Watt or anything, but it's top 10, top 12. It's not bottom of the league like some Jags fans would say. So I think the sacks are going to come eventually. So I'll go with yes. Yeah, I agree. Right now he's number 11 in like overall defensive grade among edge rushers this year, and number nine in terms of just pass rushing grade. Yeah. But that's I definitely a regress to the mean. But with that being said, it's also probably likely that we'll be behind in a lot of games for the remainder of the season. And so with those negative game scripts, teams are going to run the ball more. So it's possible he won't have as many opportunities for sacks. But I would also bet on the over for that. All right, one more for you is uh, DJ Chark currently just has 291 receiving yards. And so would you say over or under 709 for the remainder of the season to get him to 1,000 on the year? Man, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with over. I think he's going to get around like 750 to 800 yards. But that's just because I think they're going to try to basically force feed him the ball like they've done the last couple weeks. I mean, he's gotten 21 targets over the last two games. So I think they're going to keep trying to force feed him the ball and – that has to hit eventually, right? Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. There's a pretty tough schedule of uh, opposing cornerbacks on the rest of the year. There's like Denzel Ward, Jair Alexander, um, people like all the cornerbacks from Baltimore. But I'd agree that he was, he'll probably figure it out eventually. And I think like he was also injured to begin the year. So hopefully with the bye week, he'll kind of rest up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think when you look at all of his targets over this three-week struggle that I think he obviously hasn't been perfect, but I think the issues have been a lot more on how the ball is getting delivered to him than just him making mistakes or him not getting open, if that makes sense. And also, uh, I mentioned this a little bit in my article by him and Minshew, but Jay Gruden doesn't make things easy on DJ Chark. You know, his average depth of target is around 13 yards uh, you know, you see guys like Odell and, you know, Calvin Ridley, you see their teams get them quick slants or just quick t- manufactured touches to get them some momentum and easy yards after the catch. And I feel like you haven't seen that with Chark this year. 100%. I think um, before the season started, Gruden kind of hinted at using Chark in the slot more often and just kind of like praising him as a versatile receiver. 
and that hasn't really happened this season. Uh, Keelan Cole has mostly been the main slot receiver ahead of uh, D.D. Westbrook, who tore his ACL, but even before his injury, he hadn't played very many snaps. And so if they're going to do some kind of new offensive kinks and changes after the bye week, it'll be interesting to see, especially if they get like slants and kind of easy catches for Chark, like you said, but also if he stays as a primarily perimeter receiver, if or if he'll be able to get kind of those easy crossers that Cole's been able to get through the slot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just real quick while we're on that topic, would you bring Cole back after 2020? Uh, obviously, he has to be interested as well, but would you try to work out a deal with him? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a good wide receiver, three slash four. I don't know. I think he's worth bringing back. Just assume yeah. that he's not, he's not going to want a ridiculous amount of money, obviously. So I think on a cheap deal, I, you can I, have two receivers. I think him, Truck, and Chenault is a trio, a starting trio that you can walk into 2021 with a rookie quarterback and feel okay about. You know, I, it's not – I don't think – I think it's – infinitely better than Shark, Chris Conley, and D.D. Westbrook like they had last season as the top three receivers, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think okay is a very good word for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, next one? Um, let's do one more. We'll do Taven Bryan starts over under 8.0 with nine to play. Mm, I, think he, I, I think he's going to start the rest of the season just because who are they going to start in his place? I mean, like, they're not going to start Doug Costin over Taven Bryan. So, I think he's going to start the rest of the season. Yeah. All right. Here's a, here's the last, last one. I forgot about this one. CJ Henderson currently has five pass breakups through seven games. Has he played seven games? No, he's played uh, six. He missed um, he missed the Houston game, and then he barely played in the Bengals game. Right. Okay. So, he has five pass breakups through six games. Or four pass breakups, excuse me, through six games. And so he's beyond pace for five through the next nine. So would you say over or under five pass breakups for CJ remainder of the year? Over the next nine games? Yeah. Um, I'll go with over just because I don't think he's going to face receivers as good as Keenan Allen every week. Uh, I think Devontae Adams is going to do some cruel things to him in a couple of weeks. But oh. I, think, I, I think other than that, he has uh, some – favorable receiver matchups down the stretch, even if they are playing tough teams. So, I, I mean, I, I think I think we'll get about six or seven pass breakups in a year. Right. I'll take the under just because I do think that he has some good matchups ahead, and I think he'll continue to improve. But I don't think pass breakups are necessarily correlated with that just because he had three of his four pass breakups were in week one against the Colts. And then he's also been targeted a lot less frequently since the Colts game, which would obviously lead to less pass breakups. He was targeted 11 times, actually, against the Chargers. But before that, he had only been uh, targeted five times at the most in every game since week one. So I think he'll have a strong second half of the season. But with, like, less targets going his way, I think the pass breakups will also go down. Yeah, no, I, 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 that's a good point. And then I, to, to your point about how three came in week one, I think the fourth came in week two. So, you know, he hasn't had a pass breakup since September 20th. Uh, he He's definitely kind of – hit the rookie wall, and I I want to pose this question to you, uh, Gus, just while we're on the question, uh, I mean, the topic of CJ, um, I saw, I, I did, obviously, an uh, article breaking down um, Devon Hamilton, and somebody uh, had, you know, essentially said, you know, Dave hit this pick at, out of the park, you know, Dave Caldwell, that is, 
uh, you know, proves he's a good evaluator, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that this class almost solely relies on C.J. Henderson and Caleb on chase on developing? Because I think other than Chenault, if those two players don't develop, I think anything you get from guys like Hamilton and, and Daniel Thomas is kind of just whatever. You know, like they need Chase on and Henderson to hit. Would you agree with that? Definitely. And I think a big part of that is just that Caldwell has been like pretty okay in recent drafts or as like a drafter since he was hired in 2013 in Jacksonville. And part of that is because he's had really good success with like second rounders like Chark and like third rounders like uh, Yannick. But like his first round success rate is just brutal with the, like, with the exception of Jalen Ramsey and Josh Allen. Um, and so I think that CJ Henderson and Caleb on chase on are big deals, partly because they're the first two players. And those are people, those are players that fans expect to do well, like right away, just because they're first rounders. But I think especially just based on Caldwell's history of just poor first round selections, like he kind of needs these two guys to be good. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And just uh, in terms of getting the defense back on track, they need they need those guys to be good, especially Henderson. Um, all right, so uh, we can go ahead and move on. There's a couple more things I want to hit on during this episode. Uh, they have nine games left. Um, Doug Marone obviously called this a nine-game season when he gave his uh, fired-up speech on Tuesday. Out of those nine games, if you think any are winnable, which one do you think is the most winnable that the Jaguars have left on their schedule? And mind you, they, they play like the Packers, the Ravens, the Steelers. They play a murderer's row over the second half. Right. Yeah, the first – I don't have the specific numbers, but they've definitely faced one of the easiest schedules in the first half, and they're going to face one of the toughest schedules in the second half of the season because they play Green Bay, Pittsburgh, Cleveland – Minnesota is kind of easier, but then Tennessee, Baltimore, Chicago, and Indianapolis, all of those – or seven of those eight teams all have winning records and are probably going to make the playoffs, or at least it looks like it at this point. And so I would say that most winnable games, if any, would probably be Houston in week nine, which is will be coming off the bye. And apparently Doug Brown's going to come up with some new things according to his fired-up speech. So if he does come up with some new ideas, then we'll probably see them first in week nine against the Texans. Um, and then Minnesota is probably the next worst team listed on the schedule, but they've also been really good at home at, uh, under Mike Zimmer and will be playing at Minnesota. So even though they're, they've been pretty underwhelming this season as they're set at one in five, um, I don't necessarily think that gives us a good chance. So yeah, Houston will probably be my pick. Yeah, no, I, honestly – I think I'm going to go with Chicago. And I know that's probably a little bit of a bold take because of their record, but I do not, I do not think Chicago is a good football team. Uh, I, they've squeaked out close wins because of their defense this year. I think that uh, just by attrition and basically the flow of the season, I think they're going to be a beaten down team by the time uh, they play the Jaguars. And I think that'll be – it just feels like a very Chicago Bears thing to lose to this Jaguars team on the road. So I'm going to go with Chicago uh, in big part because whether it's Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky, that might be uh, the lone game on this year's schedule where the Jaguars have the quarterback advantage. Uh, I mean, I maybe Minnesota, <laughs> maybe. And then, but I, I mean, and that's just because Kirk has been a turnover machine. Okay. Uh, 
other than that, next I want to talk about trade deadline. Trade deadline is obviously on Tuesday. Uh, it's on a, on election day of all days. Gus, do you think the Jaguars should be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? Normally, they don't. They're not active like on the day of the trade deadline. Other than when they, I, I believe, don't take foul again. Traded close to the deadline, but they do make a couple trades typically each year during the season. Uh, I think Caldwell's made uh, nearly double-digit amount of trades in terms of in-season since he got here. Uh, we've already seen them do one this year for Kamale Correa. Do you think they should be buyers or sellers, and why? I would say buyers over sellers, just because I don't really think selling makes a ton of sense right now because all the players that teams would be interested in trading for are like young kind of building blocks for the Jaguars. Like they're not going to trade Josh Allen, even though he's probably one of the players that teams would be most interested in trading for. And so if anything, they would just trade away like veterans, like someone like Chris Conley or Sidney Jones or someone who thinks they're like one death piece away from being closer to contending for a Super Bowl or something like that but like I wouldn't mind that just because they would give more playing time to young guys I guess but at the same time like we already have such a big draft haul or um, yeah. so many draft picks for the future years I'm not sure how much like an, another fifth rounder for Chris Conley is gonna do so I would say buyers and for like one position that I'd like to see them buy would be tight end just because yeah. uh, yep. I think a uh, like a Safety blanket tight end would be perfect for Minshew because I don't think it would solve Minshew's issues, but I also do think that like a above average tight end would help out his standard stats a ton because Tyler Eifert has I think the lowest passer rating on the team right now, and as big of a James O'Shaughnessy stand as I am, uh, he hasn't really cut it as in the snaps he's seen like as a starter or with a lot of reps, and so I think if they trade for someone like David and Juco or Chris Herndon, or even Zach Ertz, is, if Ertz isn't that expensive, just to kind of see, like, how that influences the offense and how that influences Gardner. Yeah. I think a tight end could be a huge difference. So I'd be interested to see if they buy a tight end or not. What would your thoughts be if they traded, say, one of their uh, – traded a one of their third-round picks for Anthony Harris from the Vikings? They'd obviously would have to pay him. Uh, they, they'll be able to, too, because they had the money. What would your thoughts be if they did something like that? Um. I would love it. I do think Anthony Harris is a tad overrated as a safety. Yeah. But at the same time, he's still a gigantic upgrade over the safeties we have now. And so I think giving up a third, especially considering just because we have a lot of draft picks doesn't mean that we should trade them willy-nilly. But at the same time, I think it would be a worthwhile trade, and I would, I would like that. Yeah, no, I, I think the two guys that – if the Jaguars were to be buyers, I think the two guys they should have at the top of that list would be should be uh, Chris Herndon, the Jets, um, and Anthony Harris uh, for all the reasons you outlined. Obviously, you know Anthony Harris is some elite safety, but he's uh, substantially better than what they've had a strong safety this season. Actually, I feel like him and Jared Wilson would actually be an interesting duo because in the games Jared Wilson's played this year, I mean his numbers, his coverage stats are are pretty good. He just he's been banged up, unfortunately. So I, I think that'd be an interesting duo. Uh, Chris Herndon obviously hasn't worked out with the Jets, but I don't think you can ding him for that at all. I mean, I, I, how are you going to criticize a, a player for not producing in the league's worst offense over the last couple of years? Um, uh, the Jaguars, they almost drafted him uh, the year he came out, but instead uh, went with Ronnie Harrison, who they ended up trading anyways. 
so I, I think Herndon would be a logical move. I don't think you'd have to give up a lot to get him. I think you could even do, um, honestly, like a pick swap kind of thing like they did to get Correa and get Herndon because I mean, Her- Herndon gets targeted less than the Jets' other uh, tight ends. You know, I think uh, Wesco gets more targets than he does, which is saying something about the Adam Gase type of drive offense. But I think Herndon has a lot of talent. He'd make sense. In terms of guys, I think the Jags should, like, at least make known that they're available. I think Taven Bryan is one just because I think Taven Bryan is a guy that NFL circles probably are higher on than analysts and fans. Uh, heard a ton of coaches and players uh, from both the Jaguars and opposing teams talk up Taven. Uh, doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at his lack of impact over the last couple of years, but I think they could probably get something decent for him. Uh, I don't think I'd trade Chris Conley just because, like you said, other than that fifth giving you some room and potential trade-ups, I'm not sure how much better it makes you. I think you're probably better off just keeping him in the offense for the year. But one guy, if DJ Hayden was healthy, I'd say try to move him. But he's on IR, so that's obviously impossible. So they really don't have a lot of guys to look at. Uh, they could – I guess they could potentially try to trade. They could They could definitely get something for AJ Can, but I wouldn't trade him just because while it's important, I think, to get picks, obviously, you still have to field – a football team that's not going to get somebody injured on Sunday. And right now they need AJ Can at right guard. Um I, big Ben Bart is injured. Yeah, no. <laughs> Good point. Uh big Ben Barch fan and but he he just I, I think he's a year off. Uh that the lack of preseason I think has really hurt him. He just looks overmatched in terms of pass protection. So I think the only player they have that really makes sense to deal right now would be a guy like Taven Bryan. Uh D.D. Westbrook, I thought, made a lot of sense. But obviously, with his unfortunate uh, knee injury, that that's no longer a scenario. So I think uh, injuries kind of took away a couple of interesting trade pieces the, the Jaguars actually had. Because I think Hayden's a player they could have got a pick for, personally. Right. Do you think the, there would have been a trade market for Westbrook? Just because there was like some, some rumors flying around that he would get cut before the season. So I kind of just assumed that they tried looking for a trade for him and couldn't really figure it out. So assuming he wasn't injured, do you think like we could get something back for him? I think there would be just because the league was fairly high on him coming out. And the only reason he dropped to the fourth round was because of uh, off-field issues. I I do think they could have got potentially a a seventh for him from a receiver-hungry team. Uh, I think the Packers are desperately calling teams uh, for receivers, according to most Green Bay uh, media reports. So I think they probably could have gotten something from a team that's kind of in that type of situation where, you know, for as as much as Westbrook didn't play for the Jaguars this year, in terms of receivers who are available, he probably has about as much experience in production as probably, you know, any of them at this point. So but I, I do think they probably could have got selling for him, but it would not have been anything significant now. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I'd be okay. interested in seeing like what the market for Brian would be too, just because like, I think he definitely makes probably the most sense of anyone to be on kind of like on the block for Jags among Jags players for uh, other teams to trade for. But at the same time, I don't really know if it makes sense to take a six rounder for him. I've, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think the reason that you'd be doing that and basically be more so saying we're washing our hands of that draft mistake as opposed to getting better. But 
that that doesn't really say as much when you do it at defensive tackle uh, <laughs> as if he was like a quarterback or you know a star running back or something. But yeah, I'm with you, um, Gus. One last thing, obviously, we wanted to talk about uh, for this episode. What is one thing you think the team needs to change, or what is one thing that you would change for the team during the bye to make them a better team afterward? Uh, I, I I think. The obvious change, just uh, from my perspective, is on uh, offensively, try to go more up-tempo, try to do more quick-hitting passes. Basically, the West Coast sit back and read the the field offense has not been working for them this season. I think they kind of need to go back to what they had last season that was working more so. And I'd obviously – I'd use a lot more screens to James Robinson because I feel like that's the one thing we haven't seen from him. So my things would be kind of maybe dial back the offensive scheme and simplify it a little more and then get James Robinson involved more as a pass catcher. I 100% agree. I was going to say the same thing. I like more up-tempo, more play action, more use of motion. I like to see Chenault and uh, Wildcat more often just for the heck of it, just trying to do different things kind of because what they're doing now obviously isn't working. And I think, like you said, like the West Coast – sit back and read the field isn't working partly because like Minshew is just so afraid of pressure that he kind of like goes to his first read and if it's not there then he kind of notices that one of his offensive linemen is getting pushed back so then he kind of runs in a circle around the pocket and he either takes a sack or throws away or does a scramble for three yards and so I think I think he's smart enough to kind of go from one read to another but he would need like an elite offensive line in order to do that and the Jaguars don't have that. And so I think just mixing it up as much as possible and just trying to do different weird things with a play calling is definitely a need and a must. Yeah, definitely. Uh, defensively, I don't I don't think there's anything they can, <laughs> they, they can uh, change to make things better. Um, I, I think they've tried already to change a ton of things, and they're realizing that uh, they're kind of – they have to – you know, they made the bed and they have to lay in it at this point. So, yeah, I, I'd agree with you. Uh, well, th- those are all the topics that we had uh, for today's show. We'll obviously be back uh, after the Jaguars uh, play the Texans. Uh, Gus, is there anything else that you want to – obviously, this, I believe, is our longest episode so far. Is there anything that you kind of want want to leave with? Any, I, I guess, significant opinion that you hold of the team? Uh, as we're in the middle of the bye week, uh, I, I can go first. Mine is that the Jaguars, they need to have all possible attention on uh, this year's rookie class quarter. I mean, uh, quarter, uh, quarterbacks, obviously guys like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are getting the most attention, but Zach Wilson and Trey Lance, I think the Jaguars need to look at as well because if I know anything about the Jaguars in their history, it is that they will win at least one or two more games and miss out on Justin Fields by a pick or two. Yeah, I'll, I would say the two things I would leave with is in terms of defensive changes, as you were saying earlier, I would say blitz more would be the one thing I'd like to see after the bye, just because as we talked about, they, Walsh actually did a decent job against the Chargers, kind of mixing up schemes and mixing, mixing up like where people are aligned before the snap. But I think the one thing that's been missing for basically his whole reign as a D coordinator has been the lack of blitz. And so what he's doing now obviously isn't working as they've allowed 30 plus points in seven straight games. So maybe try sending the house every other play and just kind of see what happens. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing that 
at the very least, it'll be fun. But uh, yeah, and then other than that, just start studying quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I I think that's the big thing. I think uh, Zach Wilson, BYU, is a guy that Jacks fans are gonna want to get to know just because. Um, my job is to try to keep y'all level-headed and balanced. And like I said, every possible thing in Jaguars history suggests that while Justin Fields would be a terrific pick, that probably won't even be available to them. So watch some Zach Wilson, uh, Jaguars fans. Uh, thank you again for listening to the Jaguar Report podcast. Thanks for putting up with uh, me and Gus, uh, both on here, on Twitter, everything else. Uh, you can follow me at, at underscore John underscore Shipley. I know two underscores is offensive. Take it up with John Shipley in Minnesota. And then you can follow the site at Jaguar Report or www.si.com slash Jaguars. Gus, you got anything to say? Yeah, I just got one underscore. It's Gus underscore Logue on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, thanks, everybody. <laughs>